We're going to be in Joshua 14 this morning. And if you'd like to open up your Bibles. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you follow the Lord my God fully. Now behold, Caleb says, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these forty-five years. From the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I'm eighty-five years old today. Happy birthday, Caleb. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on the great day, on that day the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Canaanite, until this day, because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, And then the land had rest from war. Father, I ask that you would be with us in the study of your word this morning, that you will focus our hearts and our minds on Jesus, that we would come to know and and to see you and to, to be aware of you. But in this story, Father, as we read and study, I ask that you will develop in each of us a faith like Caleb's. That we would look at the example of this man and learn from him and his behavior and his attitude. God, I want to be 85 years old and fighting and kicking like when I was 40. I want to be 85 and and still busy about the the work of the kingdom, bright-eyed, willing to fight, ready to go. If indeed you tarry, you wait that long, Father. And I pray that each of us will find that, that courage and that strength, that fighting spirit that Caleb had. For we recognize, Lord, that it's more than a man we're talking about here. It's the work of your spirit in Caleb, developing faith in him. It was the trust that he, that he gave to you, Lord, in following you fully. May we learn to follow you fully. Bless the words of the study this morning, Father. Give us insight into your spirit and what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. I forgot to mention this, by the way, right after the message this morning. Uh, Tristan Boyce is here. Tristan, where are you? Back there. Hi, Tristan. And she's going to share just briefly at the end of the message, a couple of minutes, five minutes or so, about Campus Crusade for Christ. She is working for them and going to talk about some of what she's doing. And so um, stick around for just a couple minutes after we're done, and we'll hear from her at that time. Now... In this chapter, we see mention once again of something we talked about at the tail end of the message last week, the Anakim. 
this hill country called Kiriath Arba, later called Hebron, home of the Anakim. It's a controversial and challenging thought, and we talked about this last week regarding the Anakim and their giant forebears, the Nephilim, of Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, and Numbers 13, 33. And I shared, and I believe, that what we're talking about there, those giants were the offspring, buckle your seatbelts if you haven't heard this, these giants were the offspring of a union between the sons of God and the daughters of men. That's what it says in Genesis 6-4, the sons of God and the daughters of men. The sons of God, the phrase is Bene Elohim. That phrase is only used in the Old Testament referring to angels or fallen angels. So I personally believe, and I'm not going to say it's doctrine, I'm not going to say this has anything to do with the, you know, no bearing on your personal salvation, but I believe that yes, there was a union between fallen angels and the daughters of men, women, that produced these giants, this offspring called the Nephilim and then the Anakim later on. Whatever you believe about that, what I love about it is that last Sunday's study I heard spark some conversation. I heard that there were a handful of people who went home talking about this, got home, opened up their Bibles and said, let's see what he's talking about because that's a little out there. Rick's going off. See, when I go off, if it drives you back to the Word, then I've done my job for the day. (laughs) But gang, listen, as we study through the Word together, you're going to hear a lot of strange things. Because we are not dealing always with the natural. We're dealing with the supernatural. We're dealing with the extraterrestrial. And I don't mean space and aliens. I mean God is extraterrestrial. He is beyond earthly. He is outside our space and time dimension. He's perfect. He is ultimate. And so in reading his book, we're going to come across things and we go, what? I don't know if I buy that. And that's often the natural in us that's speaking disregarding, rejecting the supernatural that is evident and present in Scripture. The best response, by the way, when you come across something like the Nephilim or or the Anakim, something strange like this, your best response shouldn't ever be, well, that's not how I was raised. It's the worst response you can have. Or, that just doesn't fit my worldview. Or, Rick Swan diving off the deep end. These are not good responses. The best response that you can have to any strange or curious thing in the Bible is to say, I'm going to check that out. I'm going to look at it for myself. I want to see what the Word has to say about it. And dig in and study and find out. When you approach something as curious as the Nephilim, begin, I'm going to give you this encouragement, begin with the assumption of truth. As you go to the scriptures, open it up, look at it, and the first thought out of your mind, rather than how can I explain this away, the best thought and first thought should be, okay, this is what it says. Lord, help me understand. Because this is what it says. Start your study, any Bible study, assuming the plain truth of Scripture. I may not understand what it says. I might not right now be able to fit it into my frame of reference in my world. But the Bible says it, so I'm going to begin assuming that it is truth. Now you might say, well Rick, aren't you putting a lot of faith, a lot of blind faith in a book? And my answer is, nope. I'm speaking from a position 
of absolute confidence in this book. Because I have seen time and time again, in my 42 years, over and over and over, that the book bears itself out to be true. I have not yet found a single time when the scriptures have been challenged that the answer has not been provided. That it hasn't been supported either by other scriptures or history or archaeology or all these things that we've talked about before. This book always bears up the truth. And by the way, the truth always bears up this book. And I do have that kind of confidence. Not because I'm a fool, but because I've seen it. And I've studied it. And I'm absolutely convinced of it. And I encourage you, if you're a little shaky on the scriptures, if you waffle a little bit on the Bible, to dig in. Because it will bear up the truth. Amos chapter 3 verse 7. The prophet Amos wrote, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret, His secret counsel to His servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Man, when God speaks, the truth comes out. When God opens His mouth, when God reveals His secrets, He's not going to keep them secret. God is not into hidden things. He is into revelation. We are in a season game. You can call it the church age, the age of grace, the time of the Gentiles, but we are in a season where God has seen fit to reveal, to unlock, to open up that we might understand and know the truth. Not that He would keep it secret or hidden. Or esoteric. That's the stuff of cults. The mysteries. Oh, it's the unknown. The Lord is not into secrecy. He's into revelation and clarity and truth. And considering this word, the Nephilim, it either means giants or it means fallen ones. And the Anakim... The Anakim gang, the people of Anak, are their relatives who we know biblically and historically were giant people. Big guys. I shared last week, Goliath, one of the Anakim, Goliath from Gath, was anywhere from 9 foot 9 to 12 foot 6. He was a big man. Now maybe you're like the little girl in the first miracle on 34th Street. When asked about giants, don't you believe in giants? No, my mother tells me they're big people, but that's just abnormal. <laughs> Whether you call them giant or abnormal, Goliath was huge. And the Anakim were huge. And we simply know this because the people of Israel came into the land, the spies 40 years before this time, came into the land and looked around, and when they saw them, they were scared to death. And they said, we're like grasshoppers by comparison. I grew up around grasshoppers, and they freak me out. You know, they, get, they can jump and go any direction, and you never know where they're going to go. You know, but they're tiny. They're little things. And it's, it's funny how bugs bother us when they're this big and we're huge, you know. That's how the people of Israel saw these Anakin. They saw themselves as grasshoppers, and they wanted to run in any direction just to get away the early spies. Now, Caleb wasn't like one of these spies. Caleb had some faith. These spies came back to Moses. And in Numbers 13.33 said, We saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. Now among us today, when we read the scriptures, there is a particular giant who is the most famous. And that's Goliath. You ask people, who's the big giant of the Bible? Most people would say, oh, Goliath. He's the famous one, but not in the days of Joshua. In the days of Joshua and Caleb, there was a great giant, the greatest of the giants, whose name was Arba. Looking at it, verse 15 of chapter 14. The name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakin. He was the big shot. 
He was the head honcho, and he's the one after whom this city of the giants was named Arba. And by the way, Kiriath, you're going to see that word Kiriath, or in the King James Version it says Kirjath. You're going to see that constantly in the Old Testament Scriptures. It just means city. Anytime you see Kiriath or Kirjath, it's city. Arba, in this case, Arba's name means large and loud, which is a good name for a giant. Large and loud. My name is large and loud. Fee, fi, fo, fum. My name is large and loud. Arba. And so Arba, Kiriath Arba, is the city of the large and loud. Most people today, when you think about Caleb, and he's looking at the city of the large and loud, most people today are already 10 to 15 years into retirement by the time they hit 85. And Caleb is just getting ready to live large and to live loud. Caleb has his choice of the land, gang. He was one of two spies who had faith, Joshua and Caleb. And because of that faith, Moses told them way back when, you'll have your choice. You'll have some choice land. And Joshua, or Caleb, had seen Hebron. He had seen Kiriath Arba 40 years before. And that's the place that he wanted. 85 years old, pick of the land. What would you have done? I think Joppa sounds kind of nice, you know. Maybe get a little condo out by the sea. Hang out there. Be pretty. On the Mediterranean. There's some places up north that look a lot like the northwest. Nice trees, big, tall, beautiful shade. That's, that's where I'd want to say no. Caleb says, send me to the city of the large and the loud. By the way, at what age is a person actually considered over the hill? I'm just curious. Can I get some feedback on this? What, what age would you say is over the hill? <laughs> I hear 100. I hear 40. 80. Anyway, you know what's interesting about over the hill? We tend to, to call out an age that's just a little bit older than we are. You know, It depends on how old you are. That's how you get the answer. The comedian George Burns said the following. He says, you know you're getting old when you stoop down to tie your shoelaces and wonder what else you can do as long as you're down there. <laughs> Or Woody Allen said, you can live to be a hundred if you give up all the things that make you want to live to be a hundred. Think about that. Poet philosopher Henry David Thoreau once wrote the following. He said, a man ripens until the age of 30. After 30, he rots. Great. And the Bible tells us the following. Proverbs 20:29. The glory of young men is their strength. And the honor of old men is their gray hair. This is biblical stuff. Apparently Caleb didn't get the memo. Apparently Caleb hadn't heard that. That the the strength gain, the glory of young men, is the strength. That's where the power to fight in the city of large and loud is. When you're young, not when you're old. Caleb, you're old. The gray hair, that's that's your honor. Enjoy your honor. Retire. Take a break. Caleb is 85 years old, but he's vibrant and kicking, and that's how I want to be. That's the life I want to live. Even right now at 42, I don't want to slow down. I think I've mentioned before, when I go up and down our stairs, my right knee clicks now. I love that. Life is great. I came up the stairs last night. Cheryl's coming down the stairs. It's late. It's dark. And she hears me. Here I come. Click. 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 I'm like, I can't even sneak up on my wife anymore. Forget about robbing houses. That's out. Not that I would, but you know. When they can hear you coming... But here's Caleb. And think about this. Caleb, when they came to the border of Canaan, 
and they're ready, and they crossed the Jordan and began fighting, was 78 years old. 78! And now he's 85, and he's hungry for more, and the food he's looking for is big and fulfilling. How many would like to have that kind of spiritual vibrancy of a Caleb? Day in, day out. How would you like to live that way, with that kind of faith and longevity? And tenacity and energy. And forget about when you're 85. I'm talking about right now. Now if you are 85 right now, then it applies. But it applies to all of us. To live like Caleb with that fighting spirit. Sign me up. Someone wrote, I don't want the gleam in my old eyes just to be the sun shining off my Coke bottle glasses. I want there to be a spark, a fire. I love how Jim used the example of a pilot light. That is, that is a powerful picture, and I hope you guys really caught that. Because there are times in our lives where we feel like that little pilot light. We just don't have anything left. That little thing's flickering. You know, and at best we can sing this little light of mine. <laughs> the wind shine. But what's great about that, the immediate picture I got as Jim shared that, was when you relight the pilot light, and then you, you turn the, the gas back on, and it goes, I love that. Especially when it kind of comes out of the grill at you. You know, singes your eyebrows. That's what I want. I want the boom in my life. And I want to be on fire. I don't want just that little pilot light. How do we get there? Sign me up. Paul said, I want to press on, Philippians 3.14, toward the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a running metaphor. I want to be running. And when I get down to the home stretch, I don't want to slow down and go, okay, I'm just going to have to walk across the line. I want to break the tape because I see the prize. And I want to speed up, not slow down when I get toward the end. Hebrews 12.1, I want to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And I want to run with endurance the race set before me. My friends, in Christ Jesus, the glory days are not behind us. They are before us. Whether you are 5 years old or 55 years old, the glory days are yet to come. And a couple of things to understand about the process of glory. Listen to this. Transformation into glory is imminent. Transformation into glory is imminent. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.52, We will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. And that glorification process, that transformation into glorified bodies, is imminent, gang. It is coming. It's just around the corner. And I absolutely believe that. The more I watch world events, the more I study biblical prophecy, the more convinced I am that we are at the tail end of the last days and that transformation is absolutely imminent. When we will be changed and our bodies glorified and we will be lifted up to be with Jesus forever. However, transformation is not only imminent, it is also in the Lord Jesus immediate. It's imminent that it's just about to happen, but it's immediate in that it's happening right now. Right now, as we sit here, Bibles open, listening, studying, pouring over the scriptures, our transformation is happening. It's immediate. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, We are being transformed into the same image, that is the glory of God. From glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We are being moved on. Here's Caleb, and this is great about him because he's a man moving from glory to glory. The glory of conquering the promised land is behind him. After that seven year conquest of the land, came in at 78, now he's 85. 
So you do the math. That's how I figure out how, how long it took them to battle in the promised land. So here's Caleb and he's coming in. He's got the glory. The glory of Jericho. They took down that city. The glory of Ai. <laughs> the second battle. The glory of conquering all the kings of the south, conquering all the kings of the north. If you read chapter 12, as we're going to do Wednesday night, you discover that there are 31 kings and 7 nations that were wiped out by Israel. Caleb has that. He has that badge of honor. He can hang that on his wall, put his feet up in the easy chair, kick back, and be done. He's had his glory. But Caleb's moving from glory to glory. He's not done yet. There's more. He's got spunk. He's got energy. He's got strength. He still is looking for a fight. So let's look back at Caleb and consider him a little bit this morning. Look at verse 6. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the Lord which the Lord spoke, the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Now stop there for a moment. The name Caleb literally means dog. That's his name. The Hebrew word for dog is Caleb. Now I like to call him Mad Dog because this guy is tenacious. Mad Dog Caleb. Because Caleb is the kind of guy who sinks his teeth and he doesn't let go. I mean, he is, he is rabid in his passion, in his faith. And 45 years before Israel entered the promised land, Caleb took a bite out of that land that he never forgot. And this is important. He took a bite that sustained him through 40 years, 38 actually, of wandering in the wilderness. He had a taste of the land. He saw the land. He was one of those spies. Remember, he went into the land. And he had that taste, that bite. Verse 7 tells us, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. I have that underline. I love that. I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and your children forever, because you have followed the Lord your God fully. And he says, Behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time the Lord spoke the word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I'm 85 years old. 85, so across those seven years, uh, Caleb fought for the land. But before that, before that, understanding, and jot three things down about Caleb this morning. Number one, this dog had faith. This dog had faith. I followed the Lord my God fully. What is faith? Can someone give me the definition of faith that we've been working off of? Taking hold of the promises of God. Taking possession of the promises of God. Now, now Les is my co-pastor was paid to say that. I hope the rest of you are getting... I'm kidding. I hope the rest of you are getting that. Faith is taking possession now of the promises God has for you then. And Caleb did that. When he went into the land, 40 years before, with the people, he took possession of it. He saw it. He said, this is our land. Desire, passion, energy, it all comes from that faith that Caleb had. I've said this before. Faith is the lingua franca of eternity. Lingua franca, what is that? It's Latin. It means the common language. The common language of eternity is faith, which is why God is teaching us to live in faith now. Faith produces not only, though, a language for eternity, it produces in us vitality right now. If you're feeling lackadaisical, tired, kind of worn out in your faith, guess what? 
you haven't taken possession of the promises of God. If in your life right now, you're not feeling vital, it's probably because you haven't grabbed hold of what God has already given you to take hold of. Flip back to Numbers chapter 13 for a moment. Numbers chapter 13 tells us the story of when they came into the promised land. Watch what they saw. Verse 25 of Numbers 13. You go back a, a couple of books there to the book of Numbers. Chapter 13 and verse 25. It says, When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. By the way, the fruit of the land. Go back to verse 23. What's the fruit of the land? It says they came to the valley of Eshcol and from there cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and figs. The grapes were so big, that single cluster was so huge, they had to stick it on a pole and have two guys carry it. This is the fruit of the land and Caleb knows it and he remembers it and he considers it as he thinks through, through 40 years of wandering. Of course it tells us Verse 27, that they told him, they said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and funny, and funny, and honey, and this is its fruit. And they show him these bowling ball sized grapes. This is the fruit. Good stuff in the land. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are very large and fortified, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek's living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living there, and the termites, and the flashlights, and the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by, I just added those, are living by the sea and by the Jordan. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we'll surely overcome it. But the people who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people. They're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, This land through which we have gone, and spying it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are of great size. And then they say, The the giants are there, the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, and we're little in their sight. But Caleb, Caleb, gang, Caleb is still wants to take on giants. He's still wanting to fight. Why is it that he feels 40 at age 85? Why does he still have this vigor? Because this dog, this dog has incredible faith. Can you imagine? A group of Israelites. They're wandering. They're going through the desert and they're, you know, it's that 38 year march. And one guy says to another one, it's terrible out here in the wilderness. It's hot today. It's got to be upwards of 110 degrees. And another guy says, 110 is at least 115. What do you think, Caleb? Caleb! Caleb, what do you think? I'm sorry, what? I was distracted. I was daydreaming about the land. Thinking about the grapes. The mouth watering to get there. Aren't you guys hungry? You should have seen those. The land of milk and honey, everything was amazing. This is what sustained Caleb. Why is it that the whole company of Israel, all of the fighting men, to every last man with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, all died in the wilderness? Why did they die? They had no faith. 
And it wasn't just that they didn't have faith at Kadesh Barnea before they went into the land. They had no faith to sustain them. They had no faith to carry them through. And so their spirits waned and waxed and they got melted with fear and they were tired and they died in the wilderness. But man, not Caleb, the sparkle was in his eye. He saw the land. He knew the land was coming. And he's already plotting out his, you know, the place on the hillside where he's going to build his house. He sees that in his head. As he's marching through the land, he tasted the land and he knew that the promised land was good. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. I love that verse because it is so non-religious. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Take a bite out of the Father's love. Sample His grace. And when you do that and recognize how much He loves you, well, that will sustain you and deepen your faith. This dog had faith. Numbers uh, chapter 14. Look at that. Numbers 14, verse 7. Numbers 14, 7. Caleb is speaking and he says the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. And that's important. He's that word prey, translated in the King James more accurately, accurately is bread. It's the Hebrew word lachem, as in Beth lachem. Bethlehem, which means house of bread. So the word is bread. The prey, the bread of Caleb, is the giants. Caleb is, Caleb is 85 years old now, and he's still hankering for a loaf of giant bread. This is what he wants. This is how Caleb knows from 85 till death, he will sustain himself on the bread of the giants. On the prey of the land, the food, that's Caleb's food. There are some who at this age, 85, would prefer their Metamucil with soft yogurt, but not Caleb. He's saying, give me the bread, give me the giants. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 says, Solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Matthew chapter 4 verse 4, which is a quote of Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Matthew chapter 6 verse 11 says, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our nourishment, Father. What is that nourishment? Listen. For bread to be bread, it has to be baked. For bread to be... Otherwise it's just dough. But you've got to send it into the oven. It's got to go through the fire. It's got to be baked for it to be the nourishment that we eat when we eat bread. And it reminds me that Paul had a statement to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. Before I read it to you, let me ask you this question. How many here would like to grow in righteousness and in godliness? Just show of hands. Would you like to grow in righteousness and godliness? Okay, listen carefully. Paul says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You want to grow in godliness, count on it. You've got to eat the bread of persecution. But not only did Caleb, did, not only did this dog have faith, number two, this dog had fight. This dog had fight. Joshua 14, verse 11. 
Back to Joshua 14, it says, I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. He's got fight in him. Now then he says, give me the hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great and fortified cities. And I love this word, perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will be with me. And I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. Caleb wants Anakim bread. Giant bread. He's still taking on the giants. He still wants to fight. And we talked last week quite at length about spirit-led, spirit-filled strategies. Because in Christianity we are part of a spiritual battle. But that's a good thing. It's not something to make us shrink back in fear. Oh man, there are angels and demons battling it out all around us. Oh no, oh they're showing up in my house. They're showing up all around. I don't know what I'm going to do. That's not faith, gang. Faith says, I know this battle's going on. I am praying myself into it. I am part of this war. I'm engaging with faith. I'm trusting the Lord because I know we've already won. So I am going to put myself in and fight the fight. The fight of the faith. Gang, for several weeks we've been studying through the book of Joshua how to live the Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life. And I absolutely believe that the Lord is intent on opening our eyes to the fight. On opening our eyes to what's truly going on around us, that we may live a Spirit-filled life. Turn in your Bibles, keep your finger there in Joshua 14, and turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verse 32. Now listen very carefully to the description here of people of faith and what this looks like. Verse 32, Hebrews 10. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, after coming to Christ, after receiving the Holy Spirit, after I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is poured out, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. What? Now again, this is one of those verses that if you're trying to evangelize someone, if you're trying to bring them to Christ, you might skip over. Don't skip over it, because this is reality, gang. You give your life to Christ, you are enlightened, and almost immediately, Satan is going to attack with great persecution, with sufferings, because he wants to knock you off of that block. He wants to undermine that new faith of yours. Remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Has anyone lost land for your faith in Jesus? I didn't think so. Me either. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession, a lasting one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And you might say, well wait a minute Rick, I thought the spirit-filled life was supposed to be the life of peace. Didn't Jesus say, peace be with you? And this is a problem in Christianity when we think that it's about the easy life. When we think that the peace that God promises and offers us is about kicking back and taking it easy, when we believe that, when we live that way, we get picked off by the enemy right and left. Because, gang, the peace that Jesus offers, listen to this, He said, John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. 
nor let it be fearful. Sounds great. Give me that peace. I don't want to be troubled. I don't want to be, just give me peace, Lord. But Jesus ended that same sermon, that same teaching this way. John 16.33 These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. However, in this world you have tribulation. Take courage. I have overcome the world. The bread, the bread of Caleb. The bread of Caleb that gave him strength to fight was the giants. It was struggle. It was warfare. It was challenge. That's what Caleb wanted to take on. And that's what we're talking about. It's called, in Isaiah chapter 30, the bread of privation. The bread of privation. Isaiah 30 verse 20, Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, He, your teacher, will no longer hide Himself. But your eyes will behold your teacher. Where do my eyes behold my teacher? In the place of struggle. In the place of struggle. In the challenge. is where, In the furnace. Where was it that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw the Lord? In the furnace. In the place of hardship. In persecution. Let me explain it this way. We think we get, we get who Jesus is when we open up the Bible and we study in the relative peace and safety of this barn. We don't. This is not the place where you truly learn the heart of Jesus. You will truly learn the heart of Jesus in the battle. You will truly learn the heart and the passion of Jesus in the storms of life. A great story in the New Testament, and I'll just tell it to you. You can check it out later. Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew 14, Jesus is out there with the apostles. They're on the shores of the Galilee, and it's a beautiful place. Pastoral, green, and they're out there on the hillsides. And Jesus says, let's feed the people. And so 5,000 people are gathered on the shore. And they take a few loaves and some fish. And Jesus begins to pray over it and divide it up and continues dividing it up and dividing it up until all 5,000 people are fed. And afterwards, 12 baskets full of the bread and the fish are left over. And the apostles were there with Jesus performing a great miracle, but they didn't get it. On the shores of Galilee, in the peace, when the winds were softly blowing across and the breeze was cool that day. Oh, it was a great day. It was a picnic. Life with Jesus. It's a picnic. He's a good guy. Look at how he fed everybody. And they didn't get it. They missed the miracle completely. So what does Jesus do? I'm going to tell the people to go home. You guys get in the boat and I'll catch up with you. They get in the boat. They head out across the Galilee and a squall comes up. And in the night, they are fearing for their lives. They are frightened to death. This is it. We're done. We're toast. We're history. And then they look out across the wildness of the waves and they see a ghost walking toward them. Well, it's not a ghost. You know the story. It's Jesus. And he's walking out to them on the water. And now, verily, verily, they were freaking out as they look at Jesus coming across the water. And Peter calls out to him, and they're frightened. And the Lord says, hey, it's me, guys. It's just me. And Peter says, okay, if it's you, tell me to walk out to you. All right, Pete, come on. And Peter steps out of the boat, by the way, with great faith. None of the other apostles stepped out. Peter did. On the water and begins to walk. Oh, and the waves get big, and down he goes, and Jesus grabs him and pulls him up, and they walk back to the boat. That's the part a lot of people miss. They didn't swim back. <laughs> they walked back. Because now, Jesus with his arm around Peter, Peter's got his eyes on Jesus and he's, he's walking on water. Because his eyes are in the right place. But they get back on the boat and here's what I want you to hear. That is when the apostles said in Matthew 14, 33, 
That is when they worshipped him and said, You are certainly God's son. In the storm. On the sea. Not when he was feeding 5,000 people in the relative peace and comfort of the hillside. They didn't get it then. They got it in the storm. That's where you meet Jesus. That's where our faith is encouraged. It's when we're... Hey, if you are right now in struggle and pain and hardship, praise the Lord. He's there. This is where you'll meet Him. This is where we have to cry out to God. When we're eating the bread of privation and drinking the water of oppression and we're, we're struggling and we're hurting, that's when we say, God, I need you. And He shows up. And we know Him better. Mad Dog Caleb understood the fight. He wanted to stay engaged in the battle for possession of the promises. And listen, one last thing. Those who are engaged in the spiritual battle, and this is the best part, battling for the souls of friends and family and loved ones who don't know Jesus in this lost world, those are the ones who are closest to the Lord. Those are the ones who, who experience God more than any. But we had a precious time Wednesday night. We worshiped together and we gathered up and we began to just pray. And there was no agenda. I just thought we'd see what people's needs were and what was on people's hearts and what the Lord was giving to people. And we started praying and the whole thing turned into a night of evangelical prayer. What I mean by that is a night of praying for friends and families, naming friends and family who don't know the Lord. Pray, crying out to the Lord to save to speak through us to these who don't know Him. And it was a wonderful time. And it was an intimate time with the Father. Though the, the bulk of the time was spent talking about other people. Not ourselves. Those who are engaged in the battle. Who are joining the fray. They experience the best and the closest fellowship with the Father. Watch this. Look at verse 13 of Joshua 14. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Canaanite until this day, because he followed the Lord of God, or the Lord, the God of Israel, fully. Verse 15 says, Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba. For again, Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Where is it that Caleb wanted to live? Kiriath Arba. The city of the large and the loud. But that was the former name. The new name is now Hebron. Does anybody know what Hebron means? Fellowship. Hebron is fellowship. The place of the giants is the place of fellowship. It's the place of communion with the Lord. This dog had faith. This dog had fight. But number three, this dog had fellowship. And read it this way. Listen. Joshua 14, 13. Joshua blessed Caleb and gave fellowship to Caleb for an inheritance. Hebron. Fellowship. And that's the inheritance that we're looking for, isn't it? Fellowship with God. One-on-one, being with the Lord. Caleb recognized Hebron as the best piece of real estate in the land, for that's where the giants were. And giant problems, gang, lead us to Hebron. Fellowship. Giant struggles bring us into the place where we cry out to the Lord and we are in fellowship with Him. Faith in the fight brings us to fellowship with the Father. Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 1 is coming out of a battle and he's worn out and he's weary and he's not sure he can do this anymore and the Lord comes to him and says the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying fear not Abram I am your shield and your exceeding great reward guess what Abraham your reward for the battle is me fellowship being with me 
walking with me. I've said this so many times. God has been wooing us back to the garden since the day Adam and Eve left the garden. He has been calling us back to the cool of the day, to walk with Him, to be with Him in relationship, to share that with the Lord. And by the way, listen to verse 13 one more time. Joshua blessed him and gave fellowship, or Hebron, to Caleb for an inheritance. Who gave Caleb that place of fellowship? Yeshua did. Yeshua. So that's Joshua's name, Yeshua. And 1 Corinthians 1.9 tells us God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. For Jesus calls us to fellowship. Joshua is the picture of Jesus. We've seen that throughout this study. By the way, you want to know who Caleb is a picture of? I'll tell you Wednesday night if you show up. I'll share that with you then. It's pretty cool. But I love the story of Mad Dog Caleb moving from glory to glory. This dog had faith in the Lord. He had fight for the Lord. He had fellowship with the Lord. And maybe, maybe this morning you're not a Christian. But peace in the face of giant problems and the promise of fellowship with a God who truly does love you sounds really good to you. You can enter into that fellowship by faith. Just like Caleb, the journey begins with faith. Trust. Romans 10.9, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Great. Saved for what? Saved for fellowship. Because Joshua gives fellowship. Yeshua gives relationship. Maybe you're a Christian and you're facing large and loud troubles. And maybe you're one who's just ready to retire. Never forget, Floyd Strader, I've mentioned him many times, senior pastor that I got the privilege of working with in California. 73 years old, and he was forced out of the church. 73 years old, and the young bucks of that fellowship said, you know what, Floyd's too old. His voice, he had a, a voice allergy. His voice crackles, he's hard to understand. We need to get someone young and vivacious in here to preach instead of old Floyd. I remember talking to Floyd about that. And he was strong, but it was painful for him. And Floyd, I said, Floyd, why don't you just, why don't you just go and enjoy your retirement? You've worked, he's been in, he was in ministry over 50 years. Go enjoy your retirement. And Floyd said, you know what, Rick? If I retire, I will go home, sit down in my rocking chair, and I will die. I'm not ready to retire. To this day, Floyd left that fellowship went to the local Christian college and now is an itinerant preacher for any fellowship who doesn't have a preacher in Southern California. He just goes and preaches every Sunday somewhere else. Mad Dog Caleb had the same attitude. If you're a Christian gang and you're tired, don't retire. Put your faith in the Lord. Trust Him. And fight on for the prize that is before you. Let's pray together. Father, I I just thank you, first of all, for men like Caleb. Guys just like us. People who learned to trust you. And I know that, that today, Caleb has blessing and fellowship with you, unlike any he even had in Hebron. But I pray, Father, that you will teach us to have a faith and a fight like Caleb. For Christians among us, Lord, that we will be strong in you. 
and wanting not to slow down but to speed up as we see the end approaching that we will engage more fiercely and Father for those who are just coming to a new understanding of Jesus I pray that you will hear their cry and encourage them to that confession of faith if that happens to be you this morning as we pray if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior I invite you just to repeat this prayer in your heart repeat this to the Lord Father in heaven I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead I pray that you will come forgive me of my sin and take up residence in my heart today and lead me in the way everlasting bring me into fellowship with you Father I pray in Jesus name Amen.